Let's invite our speaker for this morning. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you so much that you speak in English. Thank you that you have a you're given to us the word in our language. Thank you that your word still speaks today. Thank you that you are present here to speak to us. And there isn't a heart, there isn't a mind, there isn't a wavelength that you cannot uh, work through, that you cannot communicate. Your love for us is so deep, so clear, that you always leave us with an answer and warranting a response. Thank you for this beautiful morning of worship. Thank you for the music that flowed over us and ministered to us, O oh God, as we sat in the presence of God and received from you. Our greatest worship is our finding satisfaction in you, Father God. Now speak through your word that we may find satisfaction, instruction, and strength in your word as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A warm welcome to all of you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I, I know that there are some people here for the first time. You become our, on, our honored guest just for this week. From next week, your family. Uh, so I hope that you'll stick around. And if you live in Delhi, then think about making us your home church. Fill out the card that we have given to you so that we can be in touch with you. And, uh, and we'll take it from there. Wonderful. Thank you, uh, DBF Dwarka and the team. Really, really appreciate that. Half your team has left. I don't know why. Must be something I said. But are you ready? Do you have the notes? Yeah, the notes look something like this. It's just a page. And if you don't have it, just raise your hand. Somebody will come to you with notes and a pen as well. I found that one without the other is quite ineffective. Yeah, Sarah in the front here. Anybody else, just raise your hand and we get you notes. Very good. So we're in the epistle of Timothy, yes? And we're in chapter 3, verses 13 through to the end. We're looking at the last part of the, and this, this series is entitled? Pain to Praise. Pain to Praise. There we go. Very good. Very good. And if I was to summarize this sermon in one sentence, it would be the suffering. Suffering is redeemed when it bears witness of Christ. Suffering is redeemed when it bears witness of Christ. Okay, let me wait and get everybody's attention. Let's dive in. Very good. What if you were absolutely sure? What if you had evidence? What if you were, you, you were absolutely sure that every unjust situation you've been through, every unjust situ situation in which you have submitted, that's what we've been talking about, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about suffering and submission in the face, in the situation, in the, cult, in the context of suffering. When, we're, when it's unjust, when it just doesn't matter, when it, when, when it just doesn't feel right, and you still have to go through. When you did that, the times that you did that, the reasons you did that, if you can have proof that when you did that, and you came out the other end, it counted. There was evidence that it mattered. There was evidence that it, 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 it's going to make a difference. There was evidence that it had value in eternity. If you had surety, certainty about that, if you had evidence about it, what if you had solid proof? What if you had an example? How would that change your life? How would it get you to go through suffering in a way, unjust situations, in a way that is faithful, faithful? Today, we are closing the list of people and the situations where Peter talks about that. You remember the list? Slaves, servants, wives, husbands, and finally all of you. Remember that? Yes. Yes. You come to this church only, no? 
And finally, all of you. He kind of covers absolutely everybody. And now he's going to seal the deal with giving you a solid reason, solid evidence why suffering is totally different for one who has Jesus on the throne. So today, we're diving in and finishing this up. It's going to be a tough swim, but it's going to be worth it. And I'm going to try and keep it short, but I shouldn't have said that. Okay, let me read the passage. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through to 22. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, uh, as holy. Uh, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. You do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you and your good behavior uh, in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in, a few, in which a few, that is eight persons, have, were, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this bringing safely through the water, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal, uh, as an appeal to God for good conscience. Through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, who gone into heaven, he's gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, powers, all subject to him. Let's dive in. Verse 13. Verse 13. Now who is there to harm you? Who is there? It's a rhetorical question. And he's going into situations where if you're a person who does good, circle good in that verse. If you're a person who's zealous to do what is good, circle zealous. Okay? The word zealous and passionate is your person who's looking for opportunities to serve. You're looking for opportunities to do good. Who would want to get, go against a person like that? Who in his right mind would give, persecute or give that person a hard time? Someone who wants to do good. Somebody who's serving. Somebody who's doing good things. Well, answer, nobody really. Nobody really. So that's a logical situation. But, but, you see the but there? That's why I said it. Circle but. But even if you should suffer, so what is he talking about here? So you're doing good. You're a person passionate, zealous about good. You're a person who's on the right foot. You're doing everything right. You're keeping a good heart with God. You're keeping a good walk with God. You love people. You serve people. And still, still you're going through unjust situations and suffering times. Even if you were to do that, what's the answer? Even if you were to suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. That is the word of the Lord. That is God's word. I mean, he's giving you his word. Even if equals, you will be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? It means you will be happy. You will have joy, even in the face where you should be grumbling, you should be critical, and you should become revengeful. So the question is, when I go through difficult times, situations that I do not deserve and pain that I do not want, how do I redeem suffering? Is everybody with me? How do I redeem suffering? Here's what to do when you want suffering to count for good. 
when you want it to matter, when you want it to count for good? How do I take that situation and ask God to bring something out of it? Let me give you a few pointers, okay? And he gives it right here. Number one, he says, have no fear of them. Have no fear of them. Who's the them? They who revile you. They who question you. They who put those situations in front of you. Okay, whoever the they is, do not fear. Basically, don't operate from fear. Operate from faith. When you operate from fear, that's, an, that's a response to external circumstances. It's a response to external circumstances. Things around you are freaking you out. You're worried about it. You get scared. It cripples you. It throws you off. Don't let that happen to you. Don't operate out of fear. Consequences of something. Threats. Oh, they can threat easily. Losses. Losses of opportunities. Setbacks, being sidelined, being marginalized. Every part of you wants to fight for it. It's unjust. Don't, don't fear. Do not operate from fear. Put God on top and don't respond from fear. The second thing he says is don't be troubled. That's internal. That's internal. Because when you're troubled, when you're disturbed, when the inner man is in a storm, <clears throat> there is no peace on the inside. You can't have a good night's rest. You can't sleep well. You can't talk properly. You can't respond to people. You can't, you can't be patient with those who are around you. Everything irritates you. Everything gets to you. Why? Because there's a storm on the inside. You shake the cup, whatever's in the cup's going to come out. That's internal. You're troubled. Don't be fearful. Don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. We retaliate and we become revengeful when there is disorder in our spirit. We react without thinking. Everything and every person becomes an interruption to our lives because our private world is in disarray. More than anything, we fight the feeling that we don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve We have done nothing wrong to deserve this. And that troubles the spirit. And you walk about in life acting and sounding like a walking pity party. Don't be troubled. But... Circle but, verse 15. What do I do instead of walking in fear? What do I do instead of being troubled? But in your hearts, that's where the trouble is. That's where the fear is. That's where the throne is. That's where the ER is. In your hearts, do what? Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. What does it mean to consider something as holy. Holy means sacred. It means set apart. That Jesus has been set apart for this purpose. Jesus has been set on the throne for this purpose. I have given him my heart, my fears, my troubles. In my heart, in the front of the boat, he has stood up and said, peace be still. He has calmed the, the, the queries. He has calmed the storms. He has calmed the fears deep in my heart. Let him be Lord of your heart. Number three, honor Christ as Lord. Honor Christ as Lord. I love Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is just a, it's a feast in how Jesus takes care of things. He says, let your mind be filled with Christ. Be ruled by Christ. He says, let, your, let the peace of Christ rule your mind. Let the word of Christ rule your heart. Let the love of Christ rule your uh, heart. Genuinely prove that Christ rules your heart, mind, and body. No, you're not getting me. You're not getting me. When you genuinely give Jesus total control of your heart, what is that? The heart is the wellspring of life. The heart is where you make the decisions. The heart is where you throw a tantrum. The heart is where you get prideful. The heart is where you get fearful. When you give Jesus control of your heart, 
That is the rudder to the rest of your life. That is the rudder to the rest of your life. When we say give Jesus your heart, we're not saying have feelings for him. When I give you my heart, I have feelings for you. And then I take it back when your feelings are not nice. When I say give you Jesus your heart, you're talking about in your heart, there's one throne and only he can sit or I can sit. And there's no two ways about it. But in your hearts, honor Christ genuinely. But when you do that, when you do that, there's a calmness, there's a centeredness, there's a quiet confidence of the believer, not because he's in control, but somebody else in his life is in control. Are you with me? Not because he's in control, but somebody in his life is in control. So he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, honor him as Lord is holy, and always be prepared. Being, present continuous, always being prepared. Prepared for what? I'll tell you in a minute. But always being prepared, which means that even in your testing times, those times you say, time out, time out, time out, I don't want to be nice right now. Those times. Time out, time out, time out, let me get home and then I'll talk to you. You know what I'm talking about? During your testing times, your words are a testimony. Write it down. Number four, let your testing be your testimony. Let your testing be your testimony. So always be prepared. Prepared for what? Prepared to make a defense. Prepared to make a defense. When do you defend something? When something is being attacked. What are you defending? The truth. Because the truth is under attack. What is the truth? That you are in fact forgiven, but you feel you're not. You are in fact provided for, but you feel you're not. You have in fact a plan for your life, but you feel you don't. Are you with me? Are you getting this? Everything that seems like it's not, the truth is that you are, the truth is that God has provided, the truth is that Jesus is on the throne, that truth is under attack. That truth is under attack. And therefore, you defend that, that attack with what? With hope. You declare hope right in the middle of the storm, right in the middle of the testing. You declare hope. Look at it. To make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. So the fifth thing you want to do is you want to stand for the truth. You want to stand for the truth. The sixth thing you want to do is engage your world. If anyone asks, if anyone asks. So don't go with a big King James Bible, thick as ever, as thick as your head, and then you go bashing people on top of it and says, this is the will of God, when they never asked you. Don't do that. Don't proselytize, don't share your religion, don't, don't do that. That's not what God has called us to do. He's not asked us to do that. Jesus didn't do that. He says, to anyone who asks you, that means there's a conversation, there's an engagement, there's a relationship, there's trust, there's an inquisition, there's a wonder. They want to know to anyone who asks for the reason, for the hope that is in you. When they ask that, you do it two ways. You do it gently and you do it respectfully. So engage your world in a gentle way. Engage your world in a respectful way. So what do you share? What do you Propagate. What do you tell about? What is your testimony? Answer, hope. Hope is your testimony. Not your faith, your hope. Because your faith got you your hope, and your hope is what you share. You can't share your faith. It's yours. Did you get that? Did you get that? Is your faith as strong as mine? I dare you. Is your faith as strong as mine? Say yes or no. Not everybody. Just, just, just the front row. 
No, my faith is not as strong as yours. Your faith is not as strong as mine. It depends which day. Thursday, Monday, Sunday morning, everybody's like, yeah. Okay? By Wednesday night, it's like, oh. No, don't share your faith. You barely have enough for yourself. But you have hope. And hope shared multiplies. Hope shared multiplies. Share your hope. Number seven, write it down. You are a hope recipient. <laughs> you are a hope recipient. Where is this hope? It's in you. So you're not proselytizing. You're not sharing your religion. You're not sharing your faith. You're sharing your hope. In response to the wonder, when people say, how can you suffer for doing what is right? How can you suffer unjustly and still be so happy? Answer? There's hope inside. There's hope inside. Hope is the believer's strength. Where is it? Where is your hope? Answer? In you. In you. In you. In where? In your heart. Who else is in your heart? Jesus is in your heart. Look at Romans chapter 5. Let me take you out of this text. I very rarely do that. But let me take you out of the text just to give a little bit of extra uh, uh, evidence here. Read with me. Romans chapter 5 verse 4 and 5. And endurance, read with me. And endurance, read with me. And endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Poured into our hearts. Not given bit by bit. Not ration. Not ration. Poured into your hearts. Romans chapter 15 verse 4. Read with me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So the Spirit of God is pouring hope into you. The Word of God, Sunday after Sunday, Monday after Monday, is pouring hope into you. From both ends, you are just getting filled with hope. Not filled with faith, filled with hope. Why? Because in this world, with your given circumstances, with your given set of people that you have to work with, what you need is hope. The song says all you need is love. No. What's the point of love when there's no hope? You know? Most women are asking them the, that question. So we get into verse 16. And again, it's in, the, it's in the ongoing, you know, present continuous. He says, having a good conscience. So number eight, maintain a good conscience. Maintain a good conscience. Why? So that when you are slandered, those who, that's the who, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Who's going to put them to shame? Nobody. What's going to put them to shame? Your good behavior. Your ability to not respond in retaliation. Your ability to let God handle it. Your calmness in the situation to say, you're not hitting out at me. Christ is taking the blows for me. Because he's in my heart. Having a good conscience. Maintain a clear conscience. Okay, let's wrap this, this little... Uh, part of this. So he summarizes it up in verse 17 and he says, for it is better to suffer for doing what? Good. It's better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will than for doing evil. So you suffer for doing evil. No brownie points there. You suffer for doing good. God can do something with that. You didn't deserve it. Yes, we know. All the angels know. God knows. Devil knows. Everybody knows. You didn't deserve it. Now stop singing that song and ask God, what are you going to do with this pain? What are you going to do with this memory? All right. 
So verse 17 says, it is better to suffer for good. Then we get to the big news. This is the good part. Verse 18, for Christ also, also. That's the most precious word in this verse. The word also. What does that mean? It means you're not alone. It means you're not alone. There's somebody else who also suffered without any good cause. For Christ also suffered. So what did Christ suffer for? Christ suffered the righteous for the unrighteous. Some versions say the just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. That's the purpose. That he must be. So Peter jumps in that, gives a little bit of background, and he tells us what happened in Jesus' suffering. So are you with me? Everyone okay? I know it's really hot, but just be I have a light on me also. I'm looking forward to those kebabs. Uh, it's probably drying up somewhere there. Peter explains what Jesus did. He says, and then, uh, for Christ suffered, uh, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Oh, you've got to listen to me. You've got to listen to me. Being put to death in the flesh, but may, being alive, not made alive, but being alive in the spirit. It says being made alive, but he was alive already. So Jesus went to the cross and his flesh was put to death. But his spirit, smallest, biggest. But pastor, all of scripture is big to me. Okay, okay got it. Got it. <laughs> but being put to death in the flesh, being made al- but made alive in the spirit. So Jesus, flesh was put to death. Get the, get the drift here. Get the, get the pattern here. Get the, the sequence here. Flesh was put to death being alive in the spirit, he went and met the other spirits who were waiting for the news of what would happen with Jesus' death. Who are these people? Who are these people? In which the spirit, in which that is the spirit, he went and proclaimed to the other spirits in prison because they formally did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being... Do you remember that? Do you remember that? How many years was that? How many years was the ark being prepared? Six days when in Jesus, and then Moses came. No? And then Judas went and hung himself. So the ark is being prepared. Noah is preaching, preaching, preaching. Nobody answers. Noah, his wife, his three sons and his three uh, daughter-in-laws, they get in the ark and they are saved through the water. While the ark was being prepared, in which, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Circle water connected to baptism in the next verse. Through water, that is baptism, which corresponds to this. What is that? The water now saves you. So you come through water like Noah and his family came through the water like jesus went down into the ground and came out the other end through this entire process of faith noah showed faith you show faith noah went in the water he built the ark you your ark is jesus and your faith is in jesus and that in jesus you are saved and baptism is the outward expression of your inward faith in christ when you get into the water you're saying i'm dead to the flesh jesus died 
And when you come out of the water, you're saying, I'm alive to Christ. Jesus rose again. That through his resurrection, underline, through the resurrection of Christ. That's what validates the whole thing. Had he not risen from the dead, nothing would have mattered. Nothing would have come about of it. But Jesus rose from the dead. That means he took up flesh again. He rose from the dead, glorified that. Who, that is Jesus, has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, verse 22, with angels, authorities, powers, having been subjected to him. What did God do with Jesus' suffering? He made something out of it. He made purpose out of it. Jesus was in the flesh, suffered unjustly, brought all of these people through that experience, and through his resurrection, brought them out the other side. He became the ark for us. That through the faith in Christ that you show through baptism, you are brought through to the other side. Therefore, God has esteemed him. He went to heaven and is at the right hand of God. Not right side of God, right hand of God. Right side is, mm. right? And we always think God's in the middle. And then Jesus is on the right, slightly smaller. And on the left is a vacancy. That's the, that's the picture we have. It's not true. When we say right hand, we're talking about the complete and total authority to execute everything from the Godhead. So Jesus stands in front of his disciples. He stands in front of the Jews, the Sadducees, Pharisees, everyone. He says, if, you've met, if you want to meet, meet the Father, meet me. I and the Father am one. I am the way to the Father. He and I are one. They stoned him. They picked up stones to stone him. They obviously got what he was saying. So he is not at the right side of God. He is on the right hand of God, which means he's on the throne. He is in full bodily authority. So that body, which was put to death, rose again after bringing people through salvation. And with his resurrected body, he went to heaven and took back complete and total control that he had before. And in Christ, you have everything Jesus has. So if your flesh is being put to death on a daily basis, as Paul says, I die daily. Your ego is being put to death every day. Your, your, your pride is being put to death every day. You die carnally. You are alive spiritually. And in Christ, if you have suffered unjustly, God turns that around to make it for your good or somebody's good. So he gives you the example of Jesus. Verse 18, Christ also, Christ also suffered. Christ also suffered. I asked you in the beginning of the sermon, what if you were absolutely sure that everything unjust, every unjust situation, everything you submitted and let God dealt with the outcome, what if it counted? What if it mattered? What if it resulted in something of lasting value and worth? What if you could be certain? What if there was solid proof and example of that? My answer to you, there is proof. There is proof. You know what the proof is? The proof that suffering counts eternally. The proof that Christ's suffering counts eternally. Righteous for the unrighteous. The just for the totally unjust situation. Totally unfair. He who had no sin on him became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. Is there evidence that God took his suffering and made something of it? Yes, you. You. You are the evidence. You are the sitting evidence in the court of law for the goodness and the greatness of God. 
You are here in the presence of God. Look at what he says. Jesus Christ suffered once. How many times? Once. He didn't suffer many times. You and I suffer many times. Look what Jesus pulled off with just one suffering. For Christ suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he should bring us to... No, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. You're just reading English. You're not getting it. Your heart is not engaging. The Spirit of God wants to tell you something amazing today. You've got you to engage. For Christ suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He, Jesus, should bring us to God. Christ suffered and was willing to suffer unjustly so that you might be returned, you might be brought back to, you might be reconciled to God. Some of us don't even take that seriously because we don't know how far we were from Him. Some of us don't take that seriously because we don't know how bleak and how dark our heart was before we found Him. Some of us have been coming to church and have been listening to gospel stories all our life, so we have never engaged with the, with the gravity of our own depravity, our fallenness. And some of us think that because we asked Jesus into our heart, through a prayer in fifth grade of VBS, God and Jesus and the angel, oh, they prayed, they prayed. He prayed, she prayed, oh, now they have to come to heaven. Oh, they prayed. That Jesus, you'll get this, that Jesus suffered once the just for the unjust and went through the grave, died physically, went through the grave, the suffering, the torment and all the anger of God so that you can say a prayer? And just waltz into heaven and skip church and make all of God's things and God's work and God's priorities just a contribution of your life so that it can be something that you also do in your life? That's what Jesus went to the cross for? I don't think so. Think with me. The just for the unjust so that you can come back to God. So when Jesus has done this, he has successfully brought you back into God's hands, into a relationship with God, into a right standing with God. That's what the whole book of Romans is about. The right standing with God. So now you are in a right standing with God. Listen to me carefully. You are the proof. Because you will never see hell. Look at me. Listen to me. You will never see hell. You are not going to go to hell and you will never see hell. No, 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 no. It's not that God created heaven and God created hell and said, so let's play this video game. Let's see who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. This is not a video game. This is not some sadistic power in the sky trying to figure out chances and possibilities here. There was only one thing and that is heaven. That's where God is. And God's presence is heaven. Where God is, where He rules, is heaven. Those who are in a relationship with God, those who are in a right standing with God, in the presence of God, are in heaven. His presence is heaven. If you have no hope of ever getting back into His presence, I repeat, no hope of ever getting back into His presence, if you have been cut off from every chance of ever getting back into His presence, you are shunned out of His presence, out of His hope, out of His ruling, out of His kingdom, then that is hell then that is hell because you will never ever know the joy and the presence of God. 
Least of all, a personal, beautiful relationship with God. What is hell? Hell is being separated from God, being shunned out of His presence. But it is also a place of torture for those who had the pride to think that they don't need the presence of God. Prayer is a place that God created for Satan, who is the most prideful person who ever created. And he wanted to be God. Isaiah 14, 1, 1, I will, I will, I will. Five times he said, I will, I will be this, I will be this. Out, out you go, out you go. So here's the deal, my brothers and sisters. God created hell for those who are too pride to accept his mercy. Too pride to accept his welcome into his presence. But Jesus suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring people back into his presence, that they become one with God. So Jesus did that. Listen carefully. Jesus did that. He suffered once to do that. And now God calls you to his mercy. And God calls you into his grace because of what Jesus did for you. And you say, no, I don't want what Jesus has done for me. And you reject Christ's work on your behalf to bring you back to himself. That's when you decide that you want to stay on the path of going to hell. Did you get that? People are not being sent to hell. All their sin is covered. All their sin has been forgiven. Christ died for everyone. Sin has been covered because sin is humanity's violation against God the Father. Did you get that? You are not going to hell for your sin. If you are going to hell, it's because God presented mercy to you through Jesus and made him who knew no sin to become sin for you, made him the righteous suffer for the unrighteous and then bring him back through his resurrection and offer that gift to you and you're like, nah, I don't want it. For that, you will follow through and join the others who were that proud. And when hope is cut off that you will ever be in a right standing with God, that, my brothers and sisters, is hell. And you will never see that because of what Jesus did and suffered unjustly. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? You are the evidence that Jesus' suffering paid off. You are the evidence that Jesus was happy he did it. You are the, you are the evidence that makes Jesus' suffering worth it. Because you're worth it. You're worth it. You are worth it. Not because of your face. Not because of your education. Not because of your accomplishments. Because when the flesh dies, that spirit, smallest, that spirit is worth it. And God sent Jesus to the cross for that spirit to come to him for the rest of eternity. And that's how precious you are. You are the evidence. You are the evidence. Now God says to you, that's what I did with Jesus and one suffering. Imagine what I can do with all your suffering. Someone saying, have you suffered a little bit? Yes, whole my life, Pastor. Whole, all my life I've suffered. Well, Jesus in nine hours pulled off more than you can do, ever do. And Jesus says, greater works, greater works you will do. He wasn't talking about magic. Greater works you will do. Christ has done everything divinely possible to make you a genuine testimony of the grace of God. Proof that he redeems, he loves, he forgives, he transforms. 
And God now wants you to be fully committed to the one who was fully committed to you. God wants you to put on the line everything for the one who put everything on the line for you. Wimpy, wishy-washy, fickle commitment to Jesus is unacceptable and it is a waste of good suffering. Did you get it? Wishy-washy commitment to Jesus is a waste of good suffering. How many of you suffer in this life? Oh, pastor, all of us. Yeah, yeah. Make it count. Make it count by setting Jesus as Lord in your life. By making him Lord in your life. Why am I preaching this so hard? Because he's not. He's not. In many cases, he's not. You love Jesus? Yes, you love Jesus. But will you drop everything and follow him? The world behind me, the cross before me. Would you put everything on the line for the one who put everything on the line for you? You need to make up your mind because you've been walking in two boats for too long. And some of you just seriously need to make up your mind. And if it means I lose you and you leave the church, may that never be. But if that was the last message you had to hear from me, let it be that. We talk about the God the Father. God the Father sent Jesus to pull this off for you. That you should become, that you should be brought back to God. Now that you are brought back to God and you are in Christ, guess what expectation, what commitment do you think the Father wants you to show to Jesus? Your time, your energy, your resources, your will, your passion, your ambition, all of it on the line for the one who put everything on the line for you. God wants you fully committed to the script, to the work, to the story, to the narrative, to his will. God wants you fully committed. Anything less than that is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Are you in? Are you in or are you out? You're thinking about it. You're contributing. You're helping. Something has to change. Something has to deeply change in our heart for us to stop worshipping ourselves and worship Christ. For Jesus to be Lord, it means Jesus is Lord. Some of you are going out with unbelievers and you don't think that's a lordship matter. Some of you are, going, are, are, you are flirting with sin. You're this close on the edge and you're flirting with different kinds of sins. Some sexual sins, some sensual sins. And you don't think it's a lordship matter. Some of you are compromising right, left and center, center in your finances and in your studies and in your walk with God. You want to be one bit in, the, bit in the world and you want to enjoy this, but you also want to be one foot in heaven so that at the end of all of it, you say bye-bye to your worldly friends and you walk straight into heaven with your so-called church. There are some of you who are living like that. And even if it's just one of you, this message is for you. Get in or get out. Jesus deserves much more than a wishy-washy, fickle commitment. Wouldn't you agree? Today I want you to take that step, saying, I know what's wrong in my life. Or I don't know what's wrong in my life, but I know Christ is not Lord. I know He is not on the throne in my heart, the wellspring of life. And you make a commitment. 
You make a change. You make a commitment. You make a decision. Today you make a decision. And if you've got the guts, write it on the card and let me know what it is. If you've got the guts, tell your small group leader what decision you made. But in this church, there will be two types of people. Those who are about to make Jesus Lord and those who have made Jesus Lord. Anybody else in between, you're wasting your time and you're wasting your suffering. Some good, good suffering is wasted. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I have just challenged your people to make a decision, oh God. They made a decision to make you their savior. But they didn't understand that the deal was, if they accept, if you accept them as they are, they've got to accept you as you are. And you are Lord. And you are on the throne. And you have all things, including the angels, subject to you. And how can you have everything subject to you except me and my little heart? God forbid. Search me, O oh God. If there's anything within me that's rebelling against you, is there any part of my life, any desire, any passion that's rebelling against you, worshipping the flesh and keeping it alive? Lord, would you convict me? Without conviction, I can't respond. Convict me. Show me your ways. Lead me to repentance. Purify this church, I pray, O oh God. Purify us so our, our walk is genuine. Our discipleship is genuine. We are people who love Jesus genuinely and love people genuinely. We will always be sinful as long as we are in this flesh. But you can always be Lord over this flesh. Oh God, would you do what you have been convicting me about all this last two, three weeks. I don't even want to preach this message. I don't like this message, Jesus. I don't like this I, because I myself get convicted. And I don't want to preach this. And You made me preach it. So you do what you have to do to convince them. To take it to the place where even the suffering of guilt itself results in repentance. Don't waste that suffering either, I pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for what you pulled off through Christ in his suffering on the cross. Now take our suffering, I pray. And be, be, on the, be the only one who lords our life and make everything count. If you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have never acknowledged that he is who he claims to be and needs to be, who he claims to be in your life. He needs to be your Lord. He needs to be your Savior too. That you were the only thing outside of creation that was left to be reconciled to. Then do pray this prayer. Father God, I acknowledge that I am not living in your will and for your purposes. That I was far from you and that I am disconnected from you. That I have idolized the flesh and all its passions and senses. I recognize I have lived like that. 
But I also recognize that forgiveness has been granted to me on a platter through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he rose from the dead, that is sure. So today I place my faith in Jesus Christ as the one who carries me through the water and gets me the other side. I put my faith in Christ because I want all my suffering to count as I keep a good conscience. Father God, would you forgive me and give me mercy. The mercy you have already freely offered, I accept that mercy because I know I need it. And today, the 7th of October, I acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. And from today onwards, I will give him what the Father expects me to give him. And that is my life, my commitment, my all. I will not be wishy-washy anymore. I will not be fickle anymore. I will not be two-minded, double-minded anymore. I will give you my all. Grant me this mercy that I might be your child and live for your glory. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each and every one of us through this week and even forevermore. Amen.